Welcome everybody in the Off the Ball Network fandom and beyond to your usual weekly affair here on Monday nights. We are proud to say a staple of the Off the Ball Network Facebook and Twitter page and of course our own YouTube. It is the Bunts and Bruises podcast coming to you guys live here on a just beautiful Monday night. It's been beautiful weather for both. I'm assuming for both of us today. It's been pretty good weather for me over here in NYC. I'm assuming it's the same with my Jersey boy over there. Speaking of which, of course, as always, one and a half of your dynamic duo as my new nickname is now the Iceman with you, the hockey guy of OTB and Jurgen. Of course, as always, I'm just joined by one of the best in the sports media business today. He is the, you know, I, I, I always think of, you know, ways I can introduce this man. I think this is the perfect way because I just learned today, ladies and gentlemen, that Mickey Mantle has the same date of birth as me. So the Mickey Mantle of baseball knowledge here on the show, my guy, James Barcia. How you doing today, Jurgen? Uh, you just you get better and better with it every day. You're starting to pull out fun facts now for the people. That's it. You're throwing the fun facts into the intros. I don't know how you get better than that. But I you're know. right. It was a beautiful day today. It went out, played nine holes of golf, did god awful as per usual. May have been yelled at because of it. Yeah, but it's all right. You know, she knows I'm bad at it, so she just she lets me wallow in it. But it is what it is. I'm excited though, man. We got a lot going on today. We're talking, you know. The NHL ended, but now we're talking about the fun part. It's the offseason. It's the beginning. New hope. New dreams. Tampa Bay is going to repeat. It doesn't matter realistically, but, you know, it's the thought. It makes people feel good, all warm and fuzzy inside. So we got, you know, we're talking about the expansion draft, and we're talking about uh, craziness that happened this weekend, Jerg. And we actually have a cool guest. And, you know, it's just it's going to be a great show for the people. It's going to be an amazing show. It absolutely is. We have, we have a big show here today. Very hockey-centric at the beginning before we bring our guest on later. A close friend of James will be coming on the show to give, a, give, us, a, give us a professional point of view on injuries that have been happening in sports. I feel like in the pandemic-riddled seasons, uh, going back to the ones last year and, of course, continuing on here into 2021, injuries have been a plague to the sports over, you know, these at least three of the four, I'm sure it definitely had to have some effect on football as well. So we'll just say all four, but especially like we can specifically name it with basketball. We can definitely name it with uh baseball this uh, season, James and hockey and football have also had their issues here and there. Of course, Tampa Bay fans have absolutely no issues with it, but you know, them's the breaks. Uh, but before we continue on James, of course you, uh, cause you messaged me about this prior to starting, like you, you want to start off today's show with a, I don't know. I don't want to necessarily like label it something as an update, but something happened in Major League Baseball within these last couple of days that we just wanted to, you know, address really fast. Yeah, man. I mean, if you haven't heard about it, there's no way we couldn't start today's show without addressing it. Uh, it happened to be, if you haven't heard, you've been living on a rock, but there was a shooting that happened outside of Washington Nationals Stadium. Uh, it was a San Diego Padres Nationals game happening around the sixth inning. Uh, three people were hurt, but no one that was in the stadium, thankfully. It was anyone who was involved with the shooting were the ones that were hurt. Uh, all three seem to be uh, actually okay. It seems like their condition is going to be all right. Legal matters, handle whatever. But I really just want to address this situation because it, it was craziness in the stadium. But you got to give a quick shout out to specifically Manny Machado, Will Myers, and Fernando Tatis. For those who don't know... Uh, everyone was panicking in the stadium. There was an announcer on the speakers telling people, hey, stay in the stadium. It's safer because they finally got word of what's happening. But when you're in that situation with everything going on in the world today, it's kind of whatever safety protocol you throw out the window. You just you do all instinct. And crazy enough, these three men, they actually went up to the fence that 
separates the field to the uh the fans and they open it up they led them something was picking people up i'm pretty sure it was machado picked somebody up and dragged them right into the dugout so big shout out to all three of those guys man because that's some that's real heroic stuff right there you're thinking guys who are literally worth hundreds of millions of dollars would never even think another day of some joe schmoes like us but shows really at the end of the day these are just people, man, and, you know, it's always good to see a fellow man watching out for a fellow man. So I just want to give them a quick shout-out. Oh, yeah, and obviously the situation overall, like, I remember when I saw the update, it absolutely floored me that, like, oh, wow, this is that. Because I think, uh, not necessarily with sporting events, but because I, I listen to the shows based in Miami, like, a lot of stuff has been going down in Miami as of late with some of the violence occurring there. So to, to hear that this happened was, you know, it hurt to see. But to, to hear that everyone was okay in the stadium, that – Injuries were kept, I think, as minimal as possible, considering what the situation was. And like you said, like the athletes stepping in, making sure that people were safe, making sure that people were as comfortable as you can be in that kind of situation. Like for for what it was, the fact that it ends up with these kinds of results, like you, you'll take that considering everything. So we're, of course, happy that people are OK and that those that did have some injuries are doing better uh, through it all, because obviously in these kinds of situations, like we said, it can end up pretty bad, but for everyone pitching in together like that, that's stuff that you want to see. And we're very, we're very glad that the situation panned out this way, of course. Moving on from the bit somber start, but with some good news at the end. Let's con- let's bring up the, the power of positivity back onto the show. And of course, like you mentioned at the top, James, the NHL offseason is here. And how quickly? James, it feels like just yesterday. You know, it feels like just yesterday. I was getting excited for the Seattle Kraken. We're eventually gonna come into the league. And Lordy knows just a couple days from now, about 48 hours from now, because the expansion draft will be at 8 p.m. start time, I believe. The expansion draft 2021, the Seattle Kraken are coming into the league. And James, of course, I've been talking about it. I've gotten a lot of the guys at the network interested in this stuff. Some of the guys actually are thinking about becoming Seattle Kraken fan. What are you, from from a general fan perspective, like uh, what are you looking for to happen on Wednesday? Because this is... I've spoken about this with people. When you think of expansions in sports recently, correct me if I'm wrong, it's been quite a while since a Major League Baseball team was recently expanded. It's been more than a while for that. Uh, basketball, the last expansion team was back in the early 2000s. And same with the NFL, with the Texans back in, I think, in 04. And I think around the same time, probably a year earlier, the Charlotte Bobcats, you know, in their return to Charlotte a couple of years before that, within that time frame. So it's been a long time, you know, since there was expansions. And then the NHL has one with Vegas, and a couple of years back and now one here with Seattle. So, I mean, you technically, because you became a Vegas Golden Knight fans, you saw the expansion draft, but as a general hockey fan, as you're learning here, and I'm, I'm very proud of the learning you've been doing, what are you looking forward to happening uh, this upcoming Wednesday? Just real quick, Jerk, I got to give you a shout out. I'm trying to fact check you here on these last expansion teams that Charlotte Bobcats Hornets one right on the money. I got to check the NFL one, but you probably got that one too. You know, you've been killing it. That's it. Look at this. Look at the genius we have here on the Off the Ball Network. But what I'm really looking forward to, Jerk, is you kind of hope what happened in Vegas ends up happening in Seattle. You hope they have a great draft and they just have a good front office to build off. And from what I'm understanding, the little research I've done on Seattle, it seems like they're starting off on the right foot with how they're building this. So hopefully, you know, they can work on what they uh, built off in the front office and who they signed. But realistically, this is the base. It's either... You're going to be a really bad team for God knows how long to come because, as you told me, Jerk, and I've learned, rebuilding in the NHL takes years and years and years to build, as you can see from the New Jersey Devils, who have, like, six first-round picks, I mean, six number-one picks, and, like, they're still ass. If you're not 
like the Vegas Knights and you're not at the top, you hope you're somewhere in the middle because you just want to have a good building block to start off with. No, you definitely do. I think when it comes to this draft, I'm expect I'm hoping for a similar thing to happen. It, just in my personal opinion, it'd be awesome if the Seattle Kraken were to quickly become a pretty good team in this league. Now, will they become a playoff team is a whole different question entirely. And, of co- and it's all going to depend on who they draft, how they draft, all in all. But I, I'm excited. Just another expansion draft so soon after the Vegas one, you know, that that has me, you know, giddy. Uh, I want Seattle to do good. And honestly, when you look at the names that are available here, James, there are high chances that the Seattle Kraken are going to have a relatively solid expansion draft when you look at some of the names available on all sides of things. You, you think of defensively, a Mark Giordano was not uh, protected by the Calgary Flames. Now, I'll get to him in just a moment here. But other solid defensemen such as Will Butcher, Vince Dunn, shockingly, when it comes to the St. Louis Blues. Uh, Travis Dermott's a solid defenseman for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, but Brendan Dillon, you know, a good foundational piece for the Washington Capitals. You, you have solid veterans there. And then the forward core from, uh, again, just solid enough players in a Jonas Donskoy to star caliber players who have had success in the past, like a Jonathan Drouin and a Matt Duchesne to borderline superstars or pure superstars, Jordan Eberle, James Van Riemsdyk, Jacob Voracek, and Vladimir Tarasenko. And of course, the Tampa Bay Lightning have a good amount of forwards that they allowed to uh, be, not be protected because they actually went with the way of four defensemen to be protected instead of three with seven forwards, which was an interesting move, I got to say. But all in all, there's a lot of potential here for Seattle to take advantage. And of course, how can I not mention goaltending? I'm sure, James, you want to bring this up because I, th- I think you you wanted a little bit clarified. But the Montreal Canadiens allowing Carey Price to not be protected. Now, James, I definitely know you have a question about it. So just like form to me, like w- what was your reaction when you saw that? I didn't understand it. I, You know me, Jerk. I leaned straight to you because it just doesn't make sense. This guy literally carried the Canadians to a Stanley Cup final. Unfortunately, they got blown out. But, hey, he did what he could do. It was up to the rest of the team. So if you could explain to me and the other casual fans here that uh, what the NHL, like, why wouldn't they protect Carey Price? And also, how many other players can you protect in this NHL draft? Because to my knowledge, you're only protecting like 20% of your team. Everybody else is up for grabs, which is kind of mind-blowing when you really think about it. So specifically with the rules, so teams had to submit a protection list this past weekend, and the protection list had to be formed one of two ways. Either uh, you have to protect seven forwards, three defensemen, and one goalie, or any combination of eight skaters. So it could have been like you know five forwards, only three defensemen if you didn't want to waste the other two slots. Or it could have been, uh, like we saw, like I mentioned with Tampa, four defensemen that they wanted to protect, so they went with the second option. Or, weirdly enough, Nashville, they protected five defensemen and only three forwards and one goalie. So it was very, very strange to see there. Now, uh, why Montreal left Carey Price uh, unprotected? Here is the idea behind it. The idea is the fact that Montreal has struggled for the last five or so years to get a proper backup to Carey Price. And had they protected Price, it would have left Jake Allen wide open in the draft to be picked up. And Jake Allen, who's on a two-year deal, that's about $2.5 million or so per year in the cap hit, maybe like 2.75, give or take. That's a valuable contract. And Jake Allen is a former starter. He's proven he could play in this league. With Seattle already picking up Chris Drieger this past weekend, if they had decided, hey, we're going to take Jake Allen here, that would have been an issue for Montreal because they spent so much time looking for that backup to lose that person so quickly. That would have been bad. So that's why they didn't protect Carey Price. And in part because they believe that Seattle will be turned off by the, uh, the Carey Price contract because it's $10 million per year cap hit and I think five years left. And also the fact that Carey Price is getting a surgery relatively soon. I, th- I think uh, 
if it wasn't today, probably tomorrow, like within the next like 48 to 96 hours, some, some sort of timeline like that, uh, Carey Price is going to be getting surgery. So that's ultimately why they did it. And that was a pretty similar mindset for quite a few teams. I mentioned a Mark Giordano, a lot of uh, the Calgary Flames have been in discussions with Seattle. Like what will it take for them to not select Giordano in this expansion draft? Because here's the fun part, James. And when it comes to the expansion draft, you don't need to, it's not just the team is selecting from the player pools. The Kraken, just like Vegas did, just like your Golden Knights did, James, they're going to work out side deals with these teams. Like, hey, we don't want you to select this specific player. So let's make a separate trade. We're going to give you a little something to select this this player. It, it can end up being solid, where for Tampa Bay in the 2017 expansion draft, they were able to unload the Jason Garrison contract. Or it could be really bad for the Florida Panthers, where they ended up, they wanted Vegas to end up, I forget who they want to protect, but essentially Vegas ended up getting Riley Smith and they ended up picking uh, Jonathan Marsha show to like, you know, to do the Panthers a favor. And both those guys end up being like key pieces for Vegas in year one, going to the Stanley cup final. So it didn't work out for you there in Florida. So really that that's, that's why Montreal is hoping that they're scared off or they're going to hope to work out a side deal, which a lot of these teams are going to work on. Funny enough, the Tampa Bay lighting, they're trying to work to see if they can convince Vegas to uh, take on one of the bad contracts that they allowed to be unprotected in fact they're trying to do that with a lot of teams they're trying to uh, of the unprotected players tampa bay has let up they're trying to trade at least two of those guys minimum uh so that that that's the reason why so aside from all these trades what is like the strategy that seattle should be going in for because you know explain to us how the cap works and all that because i understand like you just said the contracts are a little scary for people to pick up so how should they work with this expansion draft should they work out all these side deals to make it work out for them better should they just go for best players available and just blow up the cap? What's the really ideal thing to do? Like how, what's the blueprint that the Vegas Knights basically laid out for Seattle here? Well, the blueprint is you're going to want a combination of, you know, you're going to want to put together a pretty good NHL ready roster, but you're also going to want to take a couple of, you know, players that you're going to need to put in the minors because you're taking from every single team in this draft, except for Vegas. So, by doing so for Seattle, you're taking 30 players here and you got to take at least 14 forwards, nine defensemen and three goalies. So that's a lot <laughs> that you need to take on. So when it comes to that and with the salary cap, I don't believe it's moving at all this season. So I believe the, the salary cap limit is $81.5 million. Like you need, you need to play the smart game here. Now, obviously you need to meet the cap limit. There is a minimum cap limit that every single team must do. And for Seattle, the cap value that they intake in the expansion draft must be equal to 60 to 100% of last season's upper limit. So essentially, they need to meet the minimum and go above it. So if you're Seattle, it's really a case-by-case basis. Are you going to take, you know, in some cases, you're going to take a player with some pretty good salary on them because you need to meet that cap floor. But at the same time, if there's a pretty good player here that's on a a, a decently valued contract, you're going to take that as well. So it really all depends. Like I said, with Carey Price, the thing is, is that he's got five or six years left. He's going to be very, like, he's going to be up there in age when it comes to his contract being over. He'll be almost 40 when that contract comes to an end. Obviously, Montreal's not going to doesn't think of trading him. But if you're Seattle, you don't have the loyalty to picking him like Montreal does. Like Montreal took him, groomed him, etc. They've seen him grow. Seattle doesn't have that. So if in two years Seattle has buyer's remorse, you can't really move ten million dollars of salary cap space. That's not easy to do in the NHL. So the the plan Vegas essentially set, you know, in some cases just pick a player on a team that you like. But in other cases, have the teams work out these deals because you could get another uh, forward from them, a defenseman. You could get some picks, which Vegas took advantage of early. I think in their first draft, they ended up having two first round draft picks in that initial year. And I think in one of the following years, they had like two seconds. So it's all these various things that you could do 
to get a high number of picks. And I think that's that's kind of what the strategy Seattle's going to be going with here. You know, get get the players that you want, get the players that are going to try to fit Coach Dave Hackstall's plan as best as you know he's laying out. But you know, if you get the chance to go for some draft picks, like I think Tampa Bay is a team that is going to work out a deal with Vegas here. I think Tampa Bay is going to try to convince them to take either Kalorn Johnson or Yanni Gord preferably for Tampa Bay's Johnson or Kalorn, but probably will end up being Yanni Gord because of the talent. And they're probably going to have to give up like a future second round pick in that deal, like to convince them like, Hey, can you, can you take him or something like that? So it's a whole process, but Seattle, like you said, Vegas has laid out the template. It's up to Seattle to try to do it their own way. I think the coolest thing about this whole expansion draft is like Seattle Kraken is going to have Bobby Wagner popping off. Marshawn Lynch is going to be there saying you got to protect your chickens. You're going to have uh, Seattle outfielder Kyle Lewis. You know, he won rookie of the year last year. They're going to have Gary Payton, Sean Kemp. That's a whole party right there. It's about to be super lit to be a Seattle Kraken fan. You know me, Jerk. Them jerseys? Oh, forget it. Those things are clean. You wear those with some Carolina Blue Jordans. I don't even like sneakers. I know that would look fresh. Like, oh, I can't wait for this, man. I'm actually excited. I'm actually going to watch it because although I am a Vegas Knight fan and I became a fan the year that they, you know, first originated and whatnot i didn't watch the expansion drive i just you know went over it on twitter i wasn't that interested but now i'm gonna tune in wherever it is espn espn 2 espn ocho and it's about to be a good time you're gonna see marshawn lynch that's it that's all i need is a show on himself so it will be on espn 2 just so people know but also i mean you're definitely gonna be watching this because seattle's going to be in the pacific division james so they're going to be competing with vegas so you're you're definitely you're not just gonna get a review from me of the expansion draft next week you're gonna get some you know some of bars's takes on it because he he's probably gonna hope that uh, seattle makes a mistake here or there because it's like oh they're they're competing they're competing with your golden knights bars but they're not just doing the expansion draft seattle has the number two overall pick in this week's entry draft as well it's draft season of course you know off the ball network we predominantly cover basketball and the nba draft is coming up the yes cracking up but the beauty of it all the entry draft is later on this week as well the kraken have the number two overall pick in games ain't it a beauty the fact that you're going to pick up your roster majority of it this upcoming wednesday but then just a couple days later you're going to pick one of the key pieces of your franchise going forward you're going to make the first ever pick in crack in history and i know a lot of people are excited about that i mean man i can't imagine it's like fancy football season and when you're in like two leagues you have your practice one you know it's like the whatever and then you got the second draft and you're like i'm gonna kill it so you know it's it's hanukkah and christmas put together it's eight days of christmas basically it's the greatest time to ever be alive but speaking absolutely <laughs> speaking of the greatest time to ever be alive jerk it's always a great time whenever we have a guest when you say I think we should introduce. We, we, we got we got a good one. We have we, a good one. This we got a so. very special guest, as you mentioned earlier, Jerry. It's a close friend of mine. He has eight years of experience in the PT field. He's attended several conferences on baseball injuries and mechanics. He got he's been studying hands-on workshop. He's done lectures in theory and concepts. He treats patients of all ages. You know, he treats athletes from young to older, and he even treats theatrics. I had to Google what this meant, Jerry, as you know, pre before the show because i'm not that smartest guy i know a lot of sports but i don't know uh, the dictionary too well that means old people and you know old people actually have worse injuries than healthy athletes do because they got they're what they basically uh suffer the same injuries as athletes because you got your hip replacements you got your bad knees he's gonna get all into it you know i'm not the professional here but aside from all of that he's also currently the starting second baseman of the bergen black Sox in the njabl He's my close friend once again. That's Dr. John Andrew Lopez. 
Thank you for guys bringing me on. It's a pleasure. How you doing, bud? How you doing? We're doing all right. I love the page in Dr. Lopez. That's great. That's awesome, man. Get ready to get going here. Love it. Came yeah, up with man. it last second. I came up with it last you second. Did. Hey, that works every time, man. I get that more than you think. So just so the fans know, man, me and Dr. Lopez, we've actually been working on this for, for quite some time, actually. We've been That's trying right, to get definitely. you on the show for a minute, and he's a busy man, but thankfully he's been able to carve us out some time today. So Absolutely. without further ado, Dr. We're Lopez. very, very thankful, by the way. Very thankful that you're able to make time in your schedule. No, absolutely. absolutely awesome. I mean, uh, I, I see the thing that you guys are doing here. I love the podcast. It's going great. And uh, I definitely wanted to get on and speak some injuries. So when, you know, James came to me, he was like, listen, man, I want you to talk some injuries. You're free Monday night. I mean, especially when we're talking about athletes. I love that. And I'm always here to, to try to, um, you know, educate the masses and try to see what we're looking at in terms of some of these football and baseball players that we're going to be talking about today. So hoping to give you know, your listeners some good insight on to what they could expect, you know, especially if they're fans of these players or the teams um, and kind of going forward and see what we got here today. For sure. So, but before we get into the players, Jerk, I believe you had a, a question you wanted to ask related to uh, this past week. We saw, not even, was it yesterday, two days ago? I don't know, man. I'm crazy. But we had game <laughs> five of the finals, game five, game five of the finals in the box. Surprising with that come around craziness just you know Chris Paul he's been looking god awful it's actually very sad because I wanted to see him win a ring it's not looking like he is going to win a ring but Jerk I believe you had a question regarding something about injuries in the NBA oh so just generally speaking Dr. Lopez something that I've been talking with James and my other friends about is the fact that you know why are we seeing so many injuries in these playoffs like it, it was a stat that I heard earlier and it's even gone more so since that in this year's playoffs, I think it's 11 All-Stars from this past season have missed at least a game due to injuries in these specific playoffs. The previous record prior to that was six. And I think this is putting you know more of a focus on it, just how much these guys are putting their bodies through because of not just more compacted season because they need to get the timelines ready because the Olympics are coming soon, but also from finishing off last season. And I was pointing this out to James that if you look at some of the teams that really struggle with the injuries, it's the teams that went deep. Like the Lakers, both LeBron and AD, uh, Miami with their issues, Boston. So, like, can you just kind of put into the context of people, like, how much this wear and tear built up on these guys, and how it all, how we saw it, like in full effect in these playoffs? Yeah. Um, so the biggest thing is the first thing. It was probably the shortest, I believe, off season in history when it came to you know the NBA for some of these teams coming out of the bubble, being at you know it kind of season carry on for so long, you know, with everything with COVID, and now you know they jump right back into a season a few months later. I think the importance uh, to speak to that and why there's so many injuries now when it comes to the playoffs is the fact that it's the wear and tear and not having an off season. Biggest thing that, you know, preaching that I preach to athletes and things like that is you need time away from your sport. You need time to let your body heal, to do things that are not sports specific and just get your body moving in other ways. Um, and I think that because they went into such a short and off season and then going right into playing another season, you know, they really didn't let their bodies rest. And a lot of the injuries that you're seeing are more strains. You know, you're seeing a lot of ankle sprains, stuff with the knee, you know, with uh, ACL, MCLs, different strains like that. And the reason you're seeing that is because of the fact that there is no rest. You know, you can't speak to importance. You know, I can't speak to how important that is only because of the fact that, you know, rest, letting your body regenerate, keeping away from the sport. There's a there's an important facet of that that I think that um, you're seeing now that, you know, how could these elite athletes be getting injured like this? And there's a clear reason. I mean, we see that, you know, even into in my world, you know, when I see a lot of the high school athletes, they've been getting the same thing. You know, they haven't had a um, 
a season. And then, for example, like this spring, you know, you were having some of my athletes that were playing football in the spring up in Rockland County because they, you know, didn't play in the fall. And so you're seeing a lot of injuries just not being in the right season, not being in the right timeline. You know, they couldn't be with their teams. And it's kind of translating over into the pros where you're seeing that it's almost like too much, you know, and they're kind of getting, um, you know, same thing that we'll probably start getting into with football as well. It's just that not having that full off season to rest and develop. And you're seeing that with some of the other teams that had some full rest um, that are, you know, more, they're healthier going into the playoffs, deeper into the playoff run. And so, yeah, I think that the biggest thing is just not having an off season. I'm glad you mentioned that doc, because I feel like we could do kind of a myth busters here because uh, you had a lot of people when the Nets were getting injured during the playoff series, everyone started saying, oh, well, they're getting injured because they barely played any games this season, all this load management, since they only played like 10 games in the regular season, their body wasn't regular, ready for the playoffs. And then you have people who are saying in the NFL, for example, due to the shortened off season, people are getting hurt because they're not doing anything either. So. Is there a perfect mix, basically? Is there a perfect balance where it's if you're not doing any like regular season games, it'll lead to injury. But if you're doing too much in the off season or playing too many minutes in the regular season, that's leading to injury as well. What would be the perfect balance for these athletes, essentially? Yeah, I think when it comes to these kinds of uh, injuries and, and just looking at just the overall balance, I think, you know, one of the things you also have to look at is the, you know, the, the player specific injury history. We'll get into it, but I don't really believe there's too much things that's called injury prone, but you can't ignore the injury history of some of these players. And I think that brings into a different factor when a lot of these players are dealing with previous injuries that they're trying to get over as they're actively playing. That's a big thing. Specifically talking on the Nets, again, you, you got three elite players there that, to be honest, I don't feel they needed to be playing together, you know, as much during the regular season just because of how good they were. But then, you know, you look at some of the uh, injuries that they were dealing with. Kyrie dealing with stuff with the ankle. You know, Harden was dealing with the hamstring. You know, uh, Katie was coming off the Achilles. These are all injuries that can nag and can progress throughout the season and just be with you. You kind of just that nagging injury that you always have. And so that's kind of tying into the fact that not having that full off season that you are now shortening the time period in which you are uh, rehabbing. And now you're trying to rehab as you're playing. And as we know, that never really goes hand in hand. You really got to try to do one or the other, especially when it comes to some of these more significant injuries. Um, so I definitely think there is the sweet spot of just being able to you know, play your season and try to stay healthy You know, when you start the season. And then when you do get these nagging injuries, you know, you got to try to find a sweet spot obviously again some of these teams you know you're needed as a player you know what i mean you got to get out there on the floor just for you know playoff runs or different things like that but in the general sense you do want to make sure that a lot of these nagging strains are, are taken care of and you really saw that with the nets um where they just had these you know they never really got it right they kind of had all these aches and pains and you know some games they were all three are playing together some two sometimes one and i think that really kind of was a bad mixture in terms of their specific team structure based off their injury history, you know, the, the big three we're talking here. But for the most part, yeah, I would, you know, you want to make sure, like I said, you know, you get that good offseason, you get rest, you get time away from your sport, and then, you know, you pick it back up when, when uh, preseason begins. Love to hear it. But enough basketball. Let's get straight into the bunts because we are a baseball and hockey show. Let's so do it. We, you know, we have to talk about, honestly, in my opinion, one of the most devastating injuries in the league due to the fact that this guy's just, he's a stud, rising star. If he's not the best player in the league, he's number two. 
If he's not number two, he's number three. But regardless, <laughs> we're talking about the one, the only, Mr. Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, Doc, you mentioned how nagging injuries and how people play through injury. And mm-hmm. essentially, Ronald Acuna, he had a lot of little nagging injuries throughout the season. If you have him in fantasy, you kind of were upset if you took him at one because of these nagging injuries. He wasn't playing consistently. And even if he wasn't playing consistently, he was still killing it. So imagine the MVP year he would have had if we had a healthy Ronald Acuna. But as we know, he tore his ACL. Could it have been the nagging injuries that you mentioned exactly? Because the catch, if you saw the video, it wasn't that crazy of a catch. It looked like a simple little jump and then all he tumbled to the floor. You wouldn't even known he was hurt if he wasn't on the floor crying. So what could have led to something like this? I think the biggest thing that you saw when it came, and I, I kind of rewatched the video before coming on here just to kind of see how the mechanism of injury, it's really, to be honest, a freak injury when it comes to the game of baseball. You don't really see a ton of ACL, pure to ACL tears in baseball, simply for the fact that the knee doesn't have to rotate as much in baseball in terms of when you're you know, playing you know, in the field or even batting. Um, so I think that I'm not too sure that the nagging injuries was a specific reason why he got that ACL tear. I think if you go back and look at the video and slow it down, um, and kind of the way that I'm looking at it is that he really took a odd fall there on that knee. The way that the knee, you know, he landed on that single leg and it kind of had that twisting motion. And so when you look at it and you really slow it down, you really say, okay, wow, that actually does not look good. You know, obviously I'm looking at it through a different lens. So I kind of figured that there was definitely something going on there. Now, Looking at the video, I didn't think that he tore the ACL. I thought that it was probably a really, really bad sprain. Uh, But it turns out that, yeah, you know, he tore the ACL. And, you know, to be honest, at this point, he's just out for the season. Probably got surgery, uh, I would think, probably recently. You know, he got the, you know, the, the tear was on July 10th. And so, you know, he probably got a surgery maybe a few days later if it was just the ACL that was affected, which all reports really seem to be that way. So, you know, you're looking at a nine-month timeline in terms of returning back to performance. Uh, so there's a difference, and we'll get into that with the football players we talk about, but there's a difference between returning to rehab versus returning to sport versus returning to performance. So really what you're looking at in terms of, you know, he'll be ready for the start of the season. But again, like, you know, it's going to take him about a couple of months into the season to really work on his just getting back to what he was now like i said the data on baseball again not a lot of acl tears um so you know being that you know he's young that's a big factor in him being able to recover from this injury so i do feel that you know he'll be ready for the season it'll take him a little bit you know through spring training uh through april and just to get his body right and just get to used to that knee especially playing the outfield and being able to pivot off that leg you know with fly balls and stuff but yeah it's it's one of those freak things that you don't normally see on that but uh yeah, you know, we're going to have to, you know, say goodbye to him for this season. But, you know, he'll rest and rehab throughout the year, and then he'll be ready to go when it comes to uh, 2022 season. Just a quick last question on Ronald. Uh, is this something that's going to affect? Because he's known as basically a five-tool player. You know, he has the power, he has the defense, he has the average. And one of the most important things about him is he steals bases. He's one of the last few people still in the league that steals a lot of bases. Is this something that's going to affect that part of his game coming in the future? I think that he'll he'll definitely be working on those things. Um, one of the things, the biggest thing with the ACL is just your ability to plant the foot, pivot, and run in certain directions. So if I were to say the biggest thing that he would 
be working on. It's actually his directional uh, mobility when it comes to playing the outfield. You know, like I said, fly balls, line drives can be hit anywhere. So his ability to stop on a dime on the leg, turn the body to be able to catch fly balls, um, even to plant the leg to throw the baseball, turning the bases as he's running them. Those are all things that he's going to be working on in terms, even, even the hitting too, his ability to plant the leg and pivot his body over the knees are, is going to be something that he'll be working on. But it's definitely going to be something that, you know, you, you got to keep in mind, you know, see how his rehab goes throughout the year here and, and you know, indicating on see what reports are going to be going on, you know, when it comes to spring training next year. But the biggest thing will be his ability to pivot and push off the leg that we're really concerned with mostly. Damn, sounding like I might have to drop him in my fantasy league. But... <laughs> I wonder who James was referring to. <laughs> it sounded pretty personal oh, there. So. I'm still in first. It's all right. There you go. But we lost one bright star, but we have another bright star who's actually going to be returning from injury, Doc. And that's Eloy Jimenez. He actually suffered from the information I have here is a ruptured pectoral tendon. From what I believe, that's something to do with your chest. You're the professional here, Doc. Please explain it to us in some simpler terms. So, so we go from one freak injury to another here with uh, Eloy Menes. So, uh, doing some research on him, he basically did this in spring training, trying to rob a home run. And if you can kind of envision the mechanism of injury, he's going with his non-throwing hand, catching the ball, coming over the fence. And as he comes over the fence, the pressure of the wall, literally of the fence, as he's going down into it and then tries to come off of the fence is what put pressure onto that tendon and tore that tendon. Uh, again, freakish injury, not something that you see in baseball players, something more that you see in the lifting world with, you know, somebody doing a 500 pound bench press and tearing their pec tendon. The good thing is, is that it is his non-throwing hand. So if anything, you know, at least in terms of, um, you know, he's not going to have to work on throwing mechanics or things like that. You know, it's really one of those things that he probably, you know, just depending on the type of pressure and force that he put on that, he was probably a little bit from like a pec strain to a pec tear, which a strain would put him, you know, maybe a month or so that he's missing, you know, maybe just April he's missing. But because he got that pec tear, now he's going to, you know, he's out for five, six months. So it puts him on track for sometime around late August, early September, you know, where he'll start to at this point now being that it's getting towards August He's probably at least starting to do some very light baseball activities. Like I said, he can probably still throw with the hand and still kind of get things going. At this point, he's out of a sling or anything like that. It's more so him just kind of getting back to his mechanics because, again, it's his non-throwing hand. So his swing mechanics, the finish on his swing, even his ability to move his hand around as he's tracking fly balls. So he'll have to do a lot of shoulder strengthening just to make sure that that pec is, you know, when they when they uh, reattach it to make sure that that is secure. So, you know, at this point now, you know, he's getting to late stage rehab last month. He's probably focusing more on getting back to baseball. Like I said, kind of getting towards that return toward to sport slash return to performance. So it's one of those things that I, uh, you know, he'll be back in September, you know, early September, probably ready to go. Again, one of those things that it'll take him a little bit just to get used to game speed. That's a big thing for not only uh, pretty much any, you know, major sport here is just not only getting back to playing your sport, but playing at that game speed. Because as we know, in the pros that it moves quick, you know, you get up there and it's ready to go, you know. So it's one of those things that uh, he'll be back, but uh, it'll take him a little bit to get used to. So from the reports I've been reading lately, it seems like they're actually looking to have him come in as DH. Is this something that if they bring him in, you're saying 
early September, let's say they bring him early August. Is this something that could have a reoccurring injury rate? Is that something that they should keep an eye open for? Because, you know, this isn't a guy you really want to get hurt. This is he's yeah. essentially was the next Ronald Acuna when he first came into the league. Right, so right, right. Is this something that they're being kind of done with since they're currently first in their division and they actually have a great team, although they've been injured all season? Yeah, I think this is the type of injury because it's such a freakish type of injury that you got to be more on the conservative side when it comes to this. Like I said, it's not going to be something that he should be put in positions specifically that will re-tear his pec. But what you have to look at is the fact that inflammation and scar tissue can still be developing or still be there. You know, it definitely actually still will be there within the shoulder. Um, And so that can create a little bit of recurring strains if you try to bring him back a little too early. I do think that he'll probably resume hitting before he gets back into the field just because of certain things of, again, keeping the arm up, being able to kind of, you know, running with that also can affect the shoulder too. So I think that he'll get back to doing more hitting first, you know, just kind of seeing what it, what it feels like to have a bat in his hands and swing. That's going to be the first thing. And like I said, since it's not his throwing hand, you know, he's probably already been throwing in some capacity just to keep himself loose, to keep going. Um, but yeah, it's definitely one of those weird ones that can have recurrent strains if it's not fully healed. So, you know, if I were them, I would definitely suggest, you know, just based off where they are in, in terms of their standing and stuff like that, be a little bit more conservative and, and try to eye that probably early September. I probably wouldn't try to bring it back a whole month earlier based off the fact that these pec tears have a specific protocol that you want to really follow. And so you want to make sure you complete that before you kind of get him back to that return to uh, turn to play on the field. It wouldn't surprise me if the White Sox tried doing something dumb like that, though. As, you know, <laughs> history catches up at some point. Doc, real quick, just you know, on the topic of injuries happening again, uh, mm-hmm. I forget when exactly it happened to him, but Mike Soroka of the Atlanta Braves, he retore his Achilles earlier on. Can you just kind of go into the idea of like when we're talking about being careful with Eloy Jimenez and making sure like they don't put him in any position? Like how I don't want to call it. I don't want to base it off of luck. I know there's science behind it, but like how unlucky were the Braves and Soroka when it came to his Achilles retearing on itself? Yeah, that's one of those things that, um, you know, where the Achilles tears, they usually start off with a strain. Right. So you usually have some sort of calf strain that's very nagging. And then, you know, you either come back too early, as we'll talk about a little bit with, uh, you know, with another player here. But they come back too early from these calf strains and they're not fully healed. These are one of the most nagging injuries, worse than knee strains, worse than hip. The Achilles, the calf is really one of those that kind of nag a lot. And so if you don't really first rehab that injury fully, then now what you get is then more pressure and more force put through a tendon that's strained, and now you get a tear. Now, going back to his re-tear, again, part of that is just the mechanism of injury. It could have been the way that he just planted his foot and pushed off, and it just wasn't strong in that one specific direction that he was going in. And so that's like what you're seeing with, like, you were scared for fear for KD, doing the same, you know, could have had a re-tear with him, especially in basketball, which is much more of a running sport and push-off sport. And so part of it is unlucky. You know, he retore his Achilles, which the data, you know, on that doesn't, you know, depending on for high-level athletes, doesn't really suggest a lot of re-tear, depending on, again, sport, age, uh, injury history. Those are all things that you got to factor in, you know, just kind of talking in injuries in general. But, yeah, it's one of those things that <laughs> it's, it's one of those free things that, again, he could have been just the position that he did it. And, you know, kind of retore it there. But, um, yeah, there's some data that, that some players can, you know, retear it, you know, but it, it's more so of a unlucky position, so to speak, in terms of his uh, foot and ankle. 
So you mentioned one MVP in KD who had a calf strain. We're going to go ahead and mention another MVP, which is kind of crazy if you really think about it. This year, the LA Angels have two MVPs on their team. It's kind of mind-blowing. They show it, Donnie, <laughs> but now they have their returning guy, and if not the best player, it's Ronald Cunha or this guy, and Michael Trout, and he suffered the calf strain that we were mentioning earlier. What should, if, I mean, you kind of did explain it right there with Mike Soroka, the danger's in if they bring him in. But aside from that, how is this cash train kind of different than your average cash train, aside from the side that, you know, the greatest player in all of baseball? Yeah, so <laughs> well, let's, yeah, so let's talk about Mike Trout here a little bit. So significant calf strain on May 17th from what I looked up. And so, again, this is more so you talk about different types of grades. So he's probably on that grade two zone, grade three being that tear, three and four being that tear, grade one being more mild. Again, lingering type of injury. For an ankle, for a calf strain, the typical timeline you're looking at is six to eight weeks in terms of returning back. So, again, should put him on track for some time, maybe next week, maybe in the next two weeks. You hope that that timeline, the eight-week timeline, does put him to the end of July, early August. Now, the big thing with this is that, uh, and I, this kind of just speaks to the fact that you know professional players have you know access to more, you know, stronger medical care, for for a lack of a better term. And so they got money, what, correct? <laughs> and what for and what they can do, and what has been done in the past, when it, specifically actually with these cap strains, is just regenerative med medicine. So we're talking about PRP injections. We're talking about bone marrow injection injections. Those kinds of things can help to increase the tensile strength of the calf and the tendon. And that's basically what they're used for. They're used to try to accelerate the timeline a little bit. But again, with a player like that, you're talking like a 5-2 player who's fast, he's running, you know, he can hit, but he can move. And so the one thing that you don't want him to lose is his speed, right? And so that, you know, that's a big component of what he brings to his own game, right? So, you know, you got to make sure that this, this injury, especially when you're talking about investing this much money in one player, that's another big factor. The fact that they have this player for years, you know, and we're talking years that they signed this player to, you know, Trout. And so if you don't have, uh, if you're not really letting, making sure that that timeline is completed, He's passing all of his functional tests to get back onto the field. Then you're just doing a disservice for him. So, but knowing, you know, any professional team, they're going to make sure that their star player that they've invested millions of dollars into is healthy. And so, you know, they're going to make sure that this, you know, strain kind of goes away. He's all right. You know, he'll probably be playing some, you know, minor league games just to get his game speed, get everything back up, and then he'll get back called up to the big leagues. At this point right now, he's probably at least been playing in some sort of capacity in the minors just to get his bearings and get moving. Again, something that you really, really want to make sure because, again, you don't want to fall down the track of the Mike Soroka where you're going to get into that tear. And, again, you know, then, then you're done for the year. And depending on when you get it in the year, you know, if he gets it later this year, he, you know, he's done for the rest of this year plus most of next year. So it's one of those things that, you know, we're in July, the, the, the baseball season, you know, still got the dog days of summer, still got to go through September and October. So there's a lot of baseball left to be played. And you want to make sure that your star player, aside from Otani, is there to uh, to play. So it's one of those things that they got to make sure that it's 100%, 100%, before they get him back. The 162-game regular season of baseball, you could kind of summarize that as kind of like a war of attrition where – these guys are going through this entire season trying to stay as healthy as can be, especially because like the superstars, they don't take a lot of games off. Like the least amount they'll usually play if they're healthy 
is like 155 games, 156. So definitely something to keep track with with the Angels. And also kind of like for me, it really puts into perspective like Otani, what he's doing is is pretty special right now considering he's doing it on both ends and he's been as healthy as he's been relatively so far in his career. Aside from I think it was right. when he got hurt. Uh, but right. speaking of wars of attrition, Doc, so we talked about a lot of baseball just now. Let's move on to a sport that really – takes the idea of attrition into effect, and that's football. That's right. And immediately, at least for myself, I don't know what, what James wanted to tackle first, but I want to tackle this part first. So Tom Brady, trying to add to the legacy <laughs> of TB12, and by the way, you know, great advertising material for his brand right there, alleges that he uh, that, that this past season, not just in the Super Bowl, but the entire season, essentially, he played on a torn MCL and I think I saw a report somewhere saying that maybe he had it back in New England. He just never... I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm expecting him to say that uh, he's had the tournament MCL since the Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl. It wouldn't surprise me. If he tries to say. <laughs> so, wouldn't just, surprise me either. Yeah, right. So just you know, based off of that, like, I don't. I don't want to necessarily. Well, I, I don't know if James wanted to. I don't want to you know question it, call, try to call him false. But like, what? How likely is it for him to have gone through this in, the entire year? So all 16 regular season games and the playoffs on it. Because like in as a hockey fan, like I'm used to hearing guys at the very end of the playoffs when these reports come out, like very notably, I think it was back in 2013 or 14, Patrice Bergeron, he had like a cracked rib, a torn shoulder labrum. Like he, he had a bunch of stuff. So like I can yeah. believe guys pushing through for a limited space of time. But my mm-hmm. thing with the Brady thing, it's over a span of like five, six months. Yeah. So here's the very, very interesting thing and that I actually looked up when I was kind of seeing all these reports about Tom Brady. So here's the thing. He actually sprained that same AC, uh, MCL in 2019. Likely that was a grade two or a high grade one. So already the mechanism of injury and when we were talking about Acuna with his prior injuries, because this have led to the ACL injury, this, I believe, 100 percent led to his MCL tear. Now, Talking about the MCL in general, it's one of the ligaments on the inside of your knee that just helps to stabilize as you're doing certain rotational movements and to help so that those knees don't, you know, it's one of the ligaments that help that those knees not collapse inward, you know, kind of prevents that. Now, the big thing is, is that you have to look at his position, but not only his position, but how he plays his position. He's a pocket passer. Basically, he's just an elite pocket passer. He stands back there. He's got a good line. He gets it out quickly. He's taking very minimal steps. If you actually kind of watch him drop back and do certain things, he doesn't he doesn't use a lot of energy or does a lot of, does a lot of pivoting or running. You know, he's not you know going off for running rushing for like a thousand yards. He's not doing that, right? He's staying in the pocket and he's passing. Now, just to give you a perspective on how him versus other players. So, other players that have torn in uh, torn their MCL: James Conner, Aaron Jones, Nick Chubb, right? What's the one thing that's in common with those three players? They're all running backs, right? They all need to be able to cut and pivot, which the MCL provides that stability for you to do that. My opinion, he definitely, Tom Brady, could have played on this torn MCL all season. I mean, it's something that he already had the mechanism. It was already sprained, which means that it was probably torn. You know, some fibers were kind of fraying a little bit. And so, you know, he may may have taken a hit. He may have, you know, done this. And basically what he does is he just plays with either a brace or he just fights through it depending on how the pain levels are. And so, again, uh, from what I looked up, uh, he underwent surgery in February. So, again, it, this is much less than an ACL. With an ACL, you're talking about two to three months. And before even the surgery, after the season, he's probably at least, you know, his playing season, he was strengthening the knee even while he was playing through pain. You know, he was still kind of building the, the robustness of his knee and trying to make sure that it was, you know, not going on unstable on him. But the big thing is, is that a couple of months, two to three months uh, in terms of getting back to at least recovery, uh, much less than an ACL. 
And then, you know, when you're looking at your return to performance, you're looking at around six to eight months. So you figure he got surgery in February, you know, that's puts him right on track for August, September, you know, at least to, you know, and all this time, you know, as he's got the surgery, he's already been rehabbing, he's already been strengthening and doing all those things. He'll be on track to start the season. The way that he plays will not put too much demand on his on his knees. Uh, you know, he's going to be even probably more cautious than he is now with the torn MCL that he got repaired. But, you know, it's definitely one of those things that just based off how he plays, it won't be too much of a risk for him going forward, especially this season. It's all that avocado ice cream. This keeps him young, man. I look over yeah. at Tom Brady right now. He's guy's, like, guy's the plant man, you know? <laughs> But speaking of the way Tom Brady plays, a player who has a little bit more movement but still plays in the pocket is the young and upcoming. Forget the old. Out with the old, in with the new. Talking about Joe Burrow over here. And he had a significant injury. I believe he not only tore his MCL, but he also tore his ACL and his LCL and his OPP and whatever else there is, you know? <laughs> so break it down for us, Doc. How, uh, when can we expect Joe Burrow to come back? Is Are we expecting the beginning of the season, middle of the season? Should we not even expect him this season at all? If the Bengals are smart, you know, hold him towards the end? Yeah, so here's the big thing with him. He pretty much tore almost everything that you can tear in the knee. Reports, ACL, MCL. And additional damage is what they kind of put it as. When they really talk about additional uh, additional damage, they're probably talking about some cartilage or part of the meniscus that was involved in this uh, tearing of the ACL and MCL. Did it in week 11. All right. So he got surgery um, soon from that point. Uh, his surgery was actually December 2nd, in which nine months from that point puts him right to September. So when you're looking at that, he's probably not going to start the season 100%. Now, you look at Joe Burrow last year and, you know, he got comfortable once he got comfortable with the offense, you know, and just the NFL game speed. You started to see him get outside the pocket, start running a little bit more. You can probably not expect that in the beginning of the season, however. It's going to be one of those things where he's got to get his game speed back. And he's definitely going to, there's going to be one of two things, right? He's either going to just be cautious and fearful. And that's more of a subconscious thing. And that's actually a big thing with athletes. When they get these kinds of traumatic injuries, especially if they've never had them before, there's a certain level of fear of getting hit. There's a certain level of fear of, you know, leaking out in the pocket and, you know, having that edge rusher coming in right downhill, running right at you, you know, for that fear of just re-injuring the knee. So he's definitely going to be more cautious. The coaching staff will definitely cause him to be more cautious, try to draw up a lot more plays that are, you know, getting the ball out of his hands quickly, you know, getting the ball to the running back, getting the ball right out there in the slot, just making sure that he's just at least completing passes, getting comfortable with being in the pocket. As the season goes on, of course, he'll be continuing to strengthen the knee. He'll be more comfortable with, you know, rushing. And so you'll see that a little bit towards the end of the season. Don't think he'll be too much of um, – you know, a rusher in the beginning of the season is going to be more pocket passing, kind of like Brady-like, where he's going to just kind of just get his rhythm, get his timing back. Then eventually, you know, he'll kind of start doing back what he was doing before he got injured last year, which is being a little bit of a rusher as well, adding that to his game. So another injury, it was just a god-awful injury season in the, in the NFL. Bad year, oh, for, quarterbacks. Bad year yeah, for quarterbacks. That's for sure. But another injury to another quarterback was uh, Dakota Prescott of the <laughs> Dallas Cowgirls, you know, whatever. He had a really significant injury, though. If, if anyone remembers the video, his ankle literally was, you know, that way. It was bad. Pointing, it pointing was bad. the yeah. opposite direction. And yet somehow is he 
projected to be back sooner than Joe Burrow? Like, uh, what's the two differences between these two obviously significant injuries? So the big difference, uh, just speaking on the injury itself, uh, you're looking at more with Joe Burrow, you're looking more soft tissue, right? Ligament injuries, some meniscus injuries. With Dak Prescott, however, you're looking at a bone issue. He, he legitimately fractured his ankle, but not only fractured the ankle, he dislocated it in the process. So it was pretty much a compound fracture, just compounding more so onto it. And so what you, what you look at with the soft tissue injuries versus bone injuries is that bone is pretty straightforward in terms of timeline, right? So, you know, really what you're looking at, the bone just has to heal and then you just got to strengthen and you'll be good to go. Soft tissue injuries are a little different because of the fact that most of them, especially when it comes to the knee, are hugely important in terms of stabilizing the knee as you move. They're very dynamic stabilizers. But when the bone for him specifically, he got what's called an ORIF. So it's basically what they do is they put the fracture, you know, they put the ankle back where it's supposed to be, reduce it there, and then they pretty much fixate it. And that's what, you know, he casted everything like that, not putting weight on it for a little bit. Now, when it comes to his return, some of the stuff that I was looking at, sports-specific training starts six months post-surgery. That's what most of the data suggests with compound fractures of the ankle. And speaking of that six-month time, six months after the date of his surgery, he was at the Dallas training facility, which is a really good prognosis. It tells me that he's at least ready to begin some sort of sports-specific training, you know, just kind of getting back into it, putting weight onto it, being able to pivot, being able to throw the ball. And a kind of interesting thing that I found uh, back in 2015 um, in terms of athletes returning to sports following um, uh, following this kind of ankle fracture, 93% of them were competing in six to 12 months uh, post-surgery. This was specifically looking at NFL players between 2004 and 2014 who required this same surgery. And so 86% of them returned to game time action the following season. Obviously, that 86% can be skewed depending on when you got the injury in the course of the season, obviously later on in the season, you know, you'll be playing, but it won't be at the beginning of the season. So data suggests that it's a great, um, you know, a good prognosis for him to get back, especially that he was at the Dallas training facility exactly six months after his surgery. So for him, again, uh, it's going to be something that I don't really have any doubts of him beginning the season. Now, again, it could be a little bit of that fear factor in terms of him really wanting to uh, leak out of the pocket and, and start running. But for the most part, he should be good to go from a quarterback perspective, throwing the ball, shouldn't really have any injuries. Obviously, it wasn't an upper body injury. He just needs to be able to make sure that he's able to plant off that foot, pivot, uh, and do what he needs to do just to um, kind of play the you know, quarterback. You hear that, Cowboy fans? You got Dakota Prescott be able to throw five touchdowns and still lose a game for next year. It could be. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Jerk, before Lordy. we wrap up, got any final questions for the good doc over here? I guess just a quick run through because he kind of mentioned it and, you know, we, we've teased the people a little bit on it. But can you can you kind of talk about like the the differences and what the athletes are rehabbing for when you talk about rehabbing to just initially get back and move again yeah. and then compared to when they finally, you know, rehab to get back into their sport and the flow? Because like I always joke, uh, just generally speaking, like, I, I, we all say the joke, there's levels to this. But from from what you said, like it's the first time I actually heard it where there's literally levels to the process of these guys Mm -hmm. uh, rehabbing and getting back to playing again. Yeah. So, uh, the big thing when it, there's, there's three timelines really that I look at when it comes to anybody coming off a of surgery, whether, you know, whatever the surgery is, it's return to rehab, return to sport, and then return to performance. And all those, depending on the surgery that you get all have different timelines, right? So to speak on the first level, which is the return to rehab, 
that's when I see them. So I'm seeing them, you know, post ACL repair, meniscus, rotator cuff, whatever the case is, you know, that's when I'm seeing them first. The big thing in that phase is just to make sure, you know, pain levels are going down, swelling's going down, a lot of the basic stuff, make sure they get their motion back to what they need and strengthening in a basic type of level as they're progressing through their rehab. Then the next step is really now return to sport. So in order to return to your sport, you have to clear everything from return to rehab. You got to pass all your tests. So one of the things, for example, um, when we look at ACL tears, uh, I look at your ability to do a triple jump. And what's that distance compared to your non-affected leg? Are we within 90%? Are we not within 90%? I like to use 90% because that's you really need your strength and your performance within 90% of your unaffected leg or arm or whatever the case is in order to just get back to doing sport specific things. Now, sport specific things can mean a whole bunch of stuff from, you know, just getting a bat in your hand and swinging, just kind of doing some jogging and light cutting, you know, with a football in your hands, you know, like you saw with uh, Odell Beckham, you know, he was catching passes on one hand off of the uh, thing that was just thrown in pass. People were throwing passes, he's catching them off one hand. You know, those are more sports specific type of things. So you get yourself used to what it's like to legitimately play your sport again on whatever it is that they repaired. That's the second step. So just getting back to just doing some kind of sports specific uh, activity. Now we get to return to performance. Now, return to performance is a little bit more fluid, right? Return to performance can mean, well, Okay, you know, we got, for example, Mike Trout getting back, you know, in about a couple of weeks or so. All right, well, he now has progressed past his return to sport, but he's not yet at that return to performance phase, right? Because performance, you need to be able to play your sport for a little bit, you know, get your bearings for the first week or so, you know, two weeks, playing a few games, getting yourself, you know, acclimated back to game speed. And then you're in that return to performance category. Now you have played for a little bit you've played at increasing maybe lower levels minor leagues and things like that just to get your bearings once you get to the big leagues then now you're actually playing your sport real time playing against players that are of your same level and so now you're really working more on your performance you're getting back into all the things that you used to be able to do um and trying to make sure that you maintain and or improve those things wow that was Hey, Doc, Doc, you're the best. I, I'm just saying that right now. You, you are the best. You have, <laughs> you have literally opened like I'm sure a lot of people's like eyes to how how the process on this really goes over the last like 40 minutes or so. That this is this has been phenomenal. Has been yeah, phenomenal. no, I, it's definitely one of those things that I want to make sure that you know people realize that again. These athletes are also people, you know what I mean? They get injured too, just like we do. I see the same injuries that are happening in the pros in my office. And so it's one of those things that doesn't matter, you know, you know, age, activity level, how strong you are, those things can happen to anybody. And so, you know, it kind of puts into perspective the fact that these guys are people like obviously everybody gets, you know, annoyed with the fantasy, right? They're like, you know, how could you not play belt, you know, better for me? You know, you're supposed to score, you're supposed to this and that, you know. And people have these aches and strains, you know, they're normal people too, man. So it's one of the things that, you know, you got to put into perspective and, you know, being a PT has really opened my eyes to the fact that, again, you know, we, I try to help people move better and move more efficiently. And that's the same thing that these athletes are doing. They're just doing it on a much higher level than the patients that I see in my office, which doesn't, 
uh, it doesn't water down what I do and it doesn't prop up what they do. It just means that, hey, everybody at some point may get injured and you have to make sure that you put that into perspective and understand all these kind of different uh, risks that could be associated with it. Um, just like this whole injury prone tag, right? It's not one, no, more so that uh, players, certain players are injury prone. You know, they just might be putting themselves in position that, you know, injury history does have a part to play in it. Um, but to label somebody as injury prone is a little bit, I'm not too sure on that just because of the fact that, again, a lot of data suggests that there's different, you know, age groups that have different types of concerns with injuries. Um, but anybody can get these kinds of injuries. That's that's the point that, that uh, that's the, really the closing point here. Nah, you get paid millions. I'm naming you injury prone. I don't care. That's right. <laughs> I knew that was. I knew that. I knew that was coming. If I could get caught injury prone back in high school, and I don't get paid millions, so can you. But <laughs> Doc, I want to thank you once again for coming. It's definitely the first time, but it certainly won't be the last time because unfortunately, that's just part of sports. It's about the bunts and bruises. That's why it's called bunts and bruises. But regardless, Doc. Thank you once again for honestly educating all of us. There's not many times there's uh, another guy on the show that's smarter than Jerg, and we might have had his star <laughs> Jerg. I have to hand the cap off. Oh, I, I, <laughs> gladly, gladly. This this man this man can gladly take that. That was absolutely yeah. phenomenal. No, guys, I really thank you guys for having me on. It's um, one of those things, like I said, I really wanted to get on just to talk injuries. And anytime, you know, I'll even start. Not a big hockey guy. Sorry, Jerg. I'm not a big hockey guy, but – if, you know, you guys were to tell me some stuff, hey, I want you to look up these players, I'm doing it. You know, it's just my kind of field. I love getting into this, especially when it comes to the athletes, because you can see everything on a more of an elite level. Um, and so, you know, like I said, thank you guys for having me on. Can't wait to get hop back on and uh, talk some more injuries and talk just sports, you know. Oh, my God. Once again, thanks yeah. for hopping on. Is there anyone on Instagram that people can follow you if you want to start a following here? You know, I heard the TikTok's a new thing for these physical yeah, therapists. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, to, to, oh, you can follow my work account, which is Bardonia PT. Um, that's up in New City, New York. That's really where we're putting more content um, in terms of injuries related, um, different type of exercises. So go give that a look. It's on Instagram and Facebook at Bardonia PT. So definitely take a look at that. You'll see myself on there. You'll see some of the other therapists kind of doing their thing. Um, and we're just trying to bring information to the masses when it comes to rehab and getting healthier and moving better. Thank you. Love to hear it, Doc. Once again, Doc, we're going to have you again. I'm going to send you the message. All right, man. Take Absolutely. care. Absolutely. 100%. Take care, guys. Jerk. That was he's amazing. Just, you just gotta love it. You he's just amazing. gotta love it. He's I know. Amazing. I know. I know. I only bring the best, Jerk. My Come word. On. I only bring the best. You're right about that. You are right about that. Wow, that was amazing, James. But we're uh, not done yet. <laughs> of course. How can we gotta finish it off? We haven't done it in a while, Jerk. We gotta yes. finish it with the best. Ladies and gentlemen, the show moves on to its final act for this week's episode. Re the return of your favorite segment, as is mine. The how to be a fanatic segment where me and bars will go around every single team throughout the NHL and the MLB and give you five reasons. Yes. Count them five reasons why you should be a fan of those teams. And of course, James, you know, outstanding talk that we just had on. I'm sure a lot of people they are trying to pick up on you. Know, what, what could this week be? You know, you know, what are they going to mention the Atlanta or are they going to go with somebody else? No, <laughs> what we are going to do, ladies and gentlemen, is because I we start off the show with them, we're going to end the show with them. That's called, you know, bring it full circle, ladies and gentlemen. The Seattle teams in the MLB and now the NHL, I will give you right now five immediate reasons why you should already become a Seattle Kraken fan before they've even played a game. So, of course, number one, the 
idea of being a fan from literally day one of an organization. You do not get that opportunity every so often. We said at the start of the show, it's been a long time since there have been expansion teams in all four sports leagues, aside from the NHL, of course, but even before Vegas, it was quite a while before then. So to be able to call yourself a uh, a fan from day one, literally, that's something you don't get a chance to... just do it. You know, if you want a team, you want you don't want anyone to call you a bandwagoner. You don't want to be like James and switch your team every so often, depending on who's winning the cup. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. I've always been a loyal Tampa Bay Lightning fan, all right, Jerry? Don't you doubt it. So, so it was Vegas two months ago. So, so if you want to be a fan literally from day one, that's why you go with Seattle. Uh, number two, sticking with the theme of, you know, number ones here, the idea of every first time that Seattle goes through it's you're going to get to experience the first ever captain that gets named. You get to see that happen for you. The first game that gets played when you watch it, or if you obviously you live in Seattle or you plan on traveling there, you go see it like all these little things you get to see, but the first playoff appearance, the first playoff win first 50 win season, the first Stanley cup appearance, all of that you get to experience first. Again, it's already one thing where it's being a fan from day one, but you get to be a part of literally the franchise's first and everything. That's special. That's something you cannot you you cannot replicate that kind of feeling. So of course, again, let, let's keep on with the first number three. The young players that are going to come into this team over the next few years. Of course, I talked about the expansion draft and the vets that the, this team's going to add. But like I said, Seattle has the number two overall pick in the upcoming draft, and they have a chance to get a really talented player at the number two pick, whoever it may be. There's guys like Owen Power, uh, Matt Beneers. You know, I don't think they pick him number two, but Dylan Gunther is a sniper in this draft. Mason McTavish is projected by many to be a top six caliber center. There's some very young, talented players and whoever gets selected again, first pick in franchise history. So you had another first for you, but you are potentially seeing like a future all-star depending on the player that you could select. So again, let's keep on at it with the first and the young talent. Like you're, you're literally going to see your team grow in Seattle. Uh, Number four, like, I mean, James said it, it's actually, no, we're going to save that for number five. We're going to save the best for the last uh, number four, th- this is a unique thing. This is a little fun fact here, James. The fact that the Seattle Kraken, they're one of the teams in the sport now, doesn't have an S at the end of the name. You know, it, I, I don't think it, this is more, it's not really the reason, but it's just, it's just a thing. It's just a funny thing to become, to be a fan of the team. I remember back in 2012 when the Thunder and Heat were in the finals, James, that was the first ever finals in NBA history. That was both big teams. Thing. I remember yes, that. that the was first huge. finals in NBA history where both teams didn't have the letter S at the end of the team. It, it sounds hilariously funny, but it's also true. So, Hey, be, be unique, be a fan of the team that doesn't have the S at the end of it. I mean, it could work out for you. Tampa Bay Lightning, two Stanley Cups the last two years. No S there. It's working pretty good for them. And, of course, the fifth and final reason, James said it before, for their first ever jerseys, the Seattle Kraken hit, you know, they got they scored a hat trick with it. They, you know, they stood on their heads if they were goalies. They're amazing. Like James said, whatever kind of blue sneakers you want to put them with, they're going to look nice. Just the NHL, like they do jerseys right, man. And Seattle, joining in the club, you got you guys are already welcome immediately with the jersey selection. So, so good job, boys. And that is five reasons why you should be a fan of the soon to officially have a roster Seattle Kraken. We'll see how they do in this expansion draft, or who knows? Maybe I'm a Kraken fan afterwards. But it wouldn't surprise me. Whoa, 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 whoa. All right, you might have a point, but regardless, without wasting any more time, here we go. Five reasons. Well, I tried my best to come up with five reasons to be a Seattle Mariners fan, which actually it's not as bad as it seems. Reason number one, first reason I had to call it off. 
you're doing better than a team that has two MVPs on it. You are currently three games ahead of the LA Angels. So it could be a lot worse. You know, you could have two MVPs and be god awful. And you're not even doing that bad. You're only six games back from the Astros and uh, two and a half games back from the A's, which are two very good organizations. You know, tough nuggies, you're in the tough division, but you actually are going to figure it out because of reason number two, you have you could potentially have one of the best outfields in the entire league with Mitch Hanniger, who is just an all-star in himself this year and who actually is having a career year this year. But then you have to look at your center fielder and Kyle Lewis, who was the rookie of the year last year. And now you have the rising star who everyone, by all accounts, although he got sent back to the minors earlier this year, they brought him back after the all-star break. And that's Jarrett Kalinick, who, everyone says is another one of these young guys who has all five tools to be a stud, which is why the reason the Mets are going to lose the trade. But Hey, so far it looks like we're doing great. Regardless reason number three is actually you are the last team to have a perfect game in the books. When King Felix himself was the one to throw it. It's a nice little thing, you know, hold on to your belt for yourself. The number four reason to be a Seattle Mariners fan is, they got cool hats, man. That S, super dope. The symbol, the jersey, everything about it, you know? Say what you want. It might not be the best jersey in the league, but it is still a pretty dope jersey, especially if you get that teal one, too. You know what I'm talking about, Jerry? The throwback one with the Ichiro on it. Ichiro made that. Oh, you get an Ichiro vintage jersey? Forget about it. It's going to be the coolest thing ever. And the number five reason why you should be a Seattle Mariner fan is it's looking on the up and up, man. You got a young roster to build on. Aside from those three guys I mentioned, you got Daniel Vogel back and you got your pitching Ziffy, but that's all right. You can make a few moves here, especially in this uh, pending trade deadline. You make a couple moves here and become buyers. Your team all of a sudden could pass those A's, make a push for that second wild card. If those Seattle Mariners make a playoff push this season, Jerk, I was first one to say it here. Don't be surprised. Uh, claiming it before it happens just to make sure, just like he's trying to do with the hockey teams. But in all seriousness, of course, five great reasons right there. And hey, James, like this is the thing. If your team's not good, you want to at least have a young team to look forward to that could be. And I think for both of us, of course, obviously with Seattle, the jury's still out when it comes to the Kraken. But they're going to add some young talent. They're going to try to get some young talent in this expansion draft as well. And with the Mariners' young talent, just a beautiful mix for the for the people in Seattle. And hey, Seattle, like, don't worry. You may get basketball back there soon within these next couple of years. So just sports are booming in Seattle, man. Sports are just, you know, being outstanding in Seattle. And you got to keep your franchise quarterback in football. So I think things are things are looking pretty pretty good for them right now. But of course, that brings an end to this week's episode of the Bunts and Bruises podcast. Yet another phenomenal showing here. And of course, it was carried by this man without a doubt. James Dr. Lopez is absolutely phenomenal. Of course, like he has a all-access pass back to the show anytime he wants of course you're gonna be the one texting but he if he ever gets the urge to talk like he is more than welcome to come back oh for sure man that was a great time and you know i just love learning more especially about these injuries stuff because injuries is just we got our whole podcast themed after this jerk it's just one of the biggest parts of sports you can't put it on the back burner it happens and everyone knows to be a championship team aside from being good it's also the healthiest team at the end of the day, the healthiest and the luckiest team, because you need your full team to get there at the end of the day. But speaking of the end of the day, it's a wrap for today, Jerg. You guys know where you can follow us. Follow him, JergK40 on Twitter. Follow me, Bars Talks, right there on Twitter. We're also, once again, we're on Spotify. We're on YouTube. And now, once again, we are on Apple Podcasts. 
The numbers have been booming. Thank you, Apple. I'm finally happy we're done beefing. I'll cuddle you like the little spoon, or you could be big spoon. It doesn't matter, but I'm just so happy. But the numbers are great, but we need to get them better, guys. They're rookie numbers. We need to bump them up, like Matthew McConaughey says. So remember, follow, subscribe, like. If you don't want to watch the episode, just fast forward all the way to the last minute and let it play because I'll take that view. I'm petty. I don't care. But once again, Jerg, I had a great time. You know I love doing this every Monday. I'll see you next Monday, brother. Peace.